Um, right. They're really committed to this relationship. Like, I mean, he's, he's writing, he's writing like secret hidden messages on her car window of like when they're going to meet. And she like, you know, fogs up the glass to like see. And I'm like, that is so much. everyone this is alex and this is M. welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is a podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the first half of MTV's hit supernatural teen drama, Teen Wolf. This series, loosely based on the 1985 comedy film of the same name, follows the momentous life change that occurs for Scott McCall after he's bitten by a werewolf and has to adapt to becoming both predator and prey. This series premiered in in the era when MTV was churning out fresh content for teens, yet few had Teen Wolf's staying power. So what exactly helped this series outlast the rest? Stay tuned. All right, everyone. So here's some information on Teen Wolf. The series is classified as a teen drama, horror, comedy romance, um, comedy drama, excuse me, supernatural, action, and romance. It's based on Teen Wolf, um, the supernatural sci-fi movie written by Jeff Loeb and Matthew Weissman, um, you know, that... um, that premiered in 1985, um, very loosely based. Um, We have the premise of the boy who becomes a wolf, and that's where the similarities end. It was developed for TV by Jeff Davis, and it aired from June 5th, 2011, until September 24th, 2017, on MTV for a total of six seasons and 100 episodes. The series stars Tyler Posey, who also goes by Tyler Posey Garcia, as Scott McCall, Crystal Reed as Allison Argent, Dylan O'Brien as Styles Delinsky, uh, Scott's best friend. Scott Styles is only his nickname, but we we never get to see what his real first name is. <laughs> Tyler Hoechlin as Derek Hale, Holland Roden as Lydia Martin, Colton Haynes as Jackson Whitmore, Lyndon Ashby as Sheriff Noah Stalinsky, Styles' dad, J.R. Bourne as Chris Argent, Allison's dad, who's also a werewolf hunter, Melissa Ponzio as Melissa McCall, Scott's mom, Ian Bowen as Peter Hale, Derek's uncle, who is an alpha, Shelley Hennig as Malia Tate, Peter's daughter, 
Arden Cho as Kira Yukimura, who becomes Scott's second love interest in the back half of the series. Uh, Dylan Sharman as Isaac Leahy. Daniel Sharman, excuse me, as Isaac Leahy. Dylan Sprayberry as Liam Dunbar. Jill Wagner as Kate Argent, Allison's aunt, who's also a werewolf hunter and later becomes some type of supernatural creature herself. Seth Gilliam as Dr. Deaton, Scott's boss and the town veterinarian. And Kihanu uh, Kahanui, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, as Danu, as, as Danny Mehelani, who is Jackson's best friend in the series open and becomes a larger supporting character for the series duration. There are a lot of people involved in Teen Wolf, but these are the people that matter most. So... Let's get into that first season. It was 12 episodes long. As I said, this is based on the 80s supernatural sci-fi comedy. And Teen Wolf is, one of its classifications is comedy drama. But it is supernatural first. It is teen drama first. It is action first. And I feel like that first season was very surprising. Um, definitely not something that anyone who'd seen the movie would have expected, but in a good way, I think. Um, take it away, Alex. Right. So Teen Wolf came at about a time, by the way, if you guys have not seen that 1985 movie starring Michael J. Fox, you guys should watch it. It's really funny. It's really cute. It's really like absurd. It's, it's a good time. But um, Teen Wolf came about during a time where MTV... And not just MTV, but, like, everybody and their mother was trying to, like, get in on this sort of, like, scripted content game. Um, this was, like, I mean, and we talked about a little about a little bit about this as well, but that show that I sort of mentioned to you, um, Kingdom, also came on in, like, the same year. So, like, you know, which was, like, a direct TV AT&T like show which is like why are they making tv shows so um so everybody was trying to like get in on the scripted content game because it was something that people were really responding to it was like popular and mtv wanted to get in on it too so you had mtv coming out with for the first time in a really really long time um scripted not just scripted content but scripted live action content um mtv is very famous i think for its animated content uh beavis and butthead was is obviously something that was huge on that network um daria daria right so like mtv does animation they've never really done live action so this is sort of their big push so mtv you know had this big push with teen wolf as like the centerpiece of this new sort of era with, you know, awkward faking it. And then this other really unfortunate television show that I cannot remember at this moment. Um, But like, I remember the plot involved a girl working at something that's like supposed to be Disney world. Like the ideas that like she's working at Disney world, like, it's not, she's not actually. I remember Disney. that show, but I don't remember its name either. Same. <laughs> and then, like, the I, twist. on everything, I don't remember what that show was called. <laughs> Same on everything, I don't remember what the show was called. And, um, and like, the, and the thing is, is, like, she's dating her, like, brother. 
like or like she's dating a guy and she makes out with him and then the twist is like he's her brother and i was like wait what <laughs> oh i think i remember why i blocked this out now um anyway proceed <laughs> proceed it was that show and then it was one other show live action content show um uh that was about kids in college and then it was and then mtv was also doing the skins us adaptation which we all know how that fared um that was that was so unnecessary. <laughs> I think the Skins adaptation actually preceded all of these. And then that's when they realized wisely that they should probably not do adaptations of other country shows and have like actual original content, thankfully. Thankfully. But um but the point is it was it was Teen Wolf was part of was the biggest sort of well, yeah, was the biggest um centerpiece in this whole thought and era and push from the network to be relevant again, right? Because even now MTV is, I think, very much struggling with like what it's supposed to be doing in the in the decade um period, like what its purpose is as a as a network, other than just like clout. This was its thought to redefine itself. They're like, oh, we could be like a we could be CW plus. No, I think that was their right. thought. I think so, too. I mean, MTV fucked themselves a long time ago because they went off brand. You're the music television network, and then you were having all these things that were not music or music related. And then with with the um, advent of YouTube, that like put the nail in the coffin because now we don't have to be waiting on your network begging to see music videos. <laughs> we can actually just go on YouTube and watch them. Right, and we can go on YouTube, and we can ha- like go on Instagram and and all these other social media apps to like be close to artists. We don't necessarily need an MTV. Um, exactly, but um, Teen Wolf was definitely um, the closest I feel that MTV came to that home run of mm-hmm. being CW two point or CW light. Teen Wolf is arguably better than a lot of the teen dramas that WB had at the time and certainly better than what a lot of what they have right now. I think the show would is one of those shows that actually would have fared just as well on that network. Right. I agree. Um, I think MTV, I don't, I actually don't think that what MTV did with teen wolf was a bad strategy. I just remember thinking they could have punched it up a bit more. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Definitely. Like, I think they could have gone a bit higher with the... Because CW has limits, right? There are some things that are not going to happen on a CW show. But, like, if you're MTV and you're trying to be, like, CW, like, plus, then, like, do that. You know what I mean? Like, be you could be a little bit, like, sexier. You could be a little bit, like, more violent. But it never, I think, took full advantage of that. Or maybe there were constraints around that for reasons... Who knows? Right. Like when I say the show would have been just successful, successful on the CW, I mean exactly as it was because the content that was being shown on Teen Wolf is not something that we aren't seeing, you know, between shows like Gossip Girl and TVD, it's the same content, honestly. Um, They didn't punch up. They did not push the envelope. And you are like a cable network. You have that option. Um, But, you know, it is what it is. Maybe they didn't want parents banning the show, but like... Fam, it's it's a bunch of young millennials and Gen Z. These parents aren't aren't tracking what the kids watch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, true. They're so like they they have no clue what their kids are watching anyway. Season one, really great season. 
But this pilot is a really good pilot. Like, this pilot is, like, really pitch perfect. I mean, super tight, great, sets us up for the whole season. We know exactly what's what's about to happen. I mean, I was rewatching, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, oh, now I remember why I was really into this first season, because it's really well done. Right. Um, You guys, if you've been listening for a while, you guys know how I feel in particular about pilots. I feel like the pilot, more than the trailer, is how you sell a show. The pilot sets up what I can expect from this series and more importantly, what I can expect from the protagonist. Even if I don't like a show... Um, or it's on my cup of tea, for instance, The West Wing um, is a show that I didn't really like, but great pilot. I knew what to expect from the show. The pilot makes it very clear who these people are, and Teen Wolf definitely hit a bullseye with that pilot. I forgot how good it was. Like, it's a pilot that would still hold up. This show premiered in 2011. Nine years later, you could release that same pilot, and people would still watch the show. I, I would bet my money on that. Same. I just, no, I had no same because I was really struck just walk, rewatching and being like, oh, wow, this is so perfect. The only thing that gives away any sort of date is like the cell phones that they use. Right. <laughs> like, um, but everything about it is it's so perfect. It's so tight. It's, and then not only is it, um, not only do they introduce me to these characters and I know what's going to happen and I sort of understand the world really quickly. There's twists, there's turns, there's, like, action, there's drama happening. I'm like, oh, I'm here. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm really here. Like, let's let's do this. It's so really good, good. Guys. So Let's talk about that pilot a little bit more. Because knowing the pilot is knowing the trajectory of the entire first season. Again, so perfect. We meet Scott and his best friend, Styles. They are out in the woods the night before the new school year starts. And we learn from that very brief interaction that they're both interested in things like that, like seeing dead bodies. That's what they're out in the woods for to um, investigate a dead body that someone said was out in the woods. We learned that Scott and Styles are on the lacrosse team and that's putting it, that's an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> they don't really get any playtime. They're not that good. They've been best friends for a while. Scott has asthma. All these things are given to us before Scott is attacked by an animal, but the wound heals really, really quickly. Like it's healed the next day when he comes at school. And um, between this, his heightened hearing, his heightened speed, his increased strength, Styles first says this jokingly, but then becomes more and more sure that um, Scott has become a werewolf. We meet Scott's mom. She's a nurse. She's a single mom. His parents have split up. He was living with his dad for a while, but now he's living back with her. Um, we meet the new student at school who is his love interest, um, Allison. We learn by the end of the episode that, um, um, her dad is a werewolf hunter. Um, we he also makes the lacrosse team with his new powers. Um, we meet Lydia and Jackson, who are like the king and queen of their high school. Um, he is the captain of the lacrosse team, and she's his girlfriend, who dumbs herself down considerably um, in order to not make her boyfriend feel intimidated. But she's actually the smartest person on the show and the smartest person in the school. So we learn all these things about all these people, exactly who they are and exactly what their relationships are with each other in a way that just feels so seamless just great tension like great like plotting to you know put these 
characters at odds and like sort of set up this like forbidden love thing. And, and then, you know, really leaning on the sort of archetypes of a teen show, just really strong writing, strong filmmaking. I will say, what was it about Teen Wolf that was so precise? One thing that I will say is like, Teen Wolf did just all the things that you're supposed to do. Teen Wolf gave us like tons of action, even if it wasn't things that were necessarily like super action-y, but they made them feel like action, like the lacrosse mm-hmm. games or like the the fights with Derek. Really strong filmmaking to establish the tone of this show. Also, this the music on this show, and this is one, but and I'll say this about most of the MTV shows. Actually, pretty much all the MTV shows have outstanding like soundtracks, I will say, from this era. The the score. The score is like so perfect to each and every scene. Yes. So that I know exactly like what's supposed to be happening. So like even if an actor is like faltering or like this physical comedy gag didn't hit the way it was supposed to, there's, you know, a score under it that's kind of goofy. So I know, okay, this is supposed to be like a goofy moment or it's supposed to be funny. And I can sort of keep going in my mind, even if it's not laugh out loud. Um, there's right. also a good bit of uh, comedy that's happening in the pilot throughout the first mm-hmm. season, really. Which shout out to Dylan O'Brien, who plays Styles. He really comes through with these physical comedy aspects um, of this character. That actor, he's so good at physical comedy. I have that he in my notes. And he has he has great deadpan humor. That's what I have. Like <laughs> I feel like the way that he delivers some of these lines, even if there's no physical comedy involved, is is really very tongue-in-cheek. It's not laugh out loud, but it is humorous enough to keep your attention. Um it it kind of reminds me of um a little bit ironically enough of Kat Denning's character in Two Broke Girls and the way that she delivers a lot of her lines, very deadpan, like I'll say this stuff with a straight face and I know like it's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I've always been able, I've always admired people who can like have deadpan humor or be be very witty, but keep a straight face, even when everyone around them is laughing. Um, great actor. And I will say that most of the actors on this show really deliver. Um, the one actor I wasn't sure about coming into the pilot the first time was Colton Haynes, who plays Jackson. Mm -hmm. I really felt so often that when he delivered the lines, they were a little bit too tight. It was a little bit try hard, but by episode three, four, I realized they were being delivered this way intentionally because Jackson is a tryhard. That's his persona. And he's also like deeply insecure, but trying very hard to hide it. I don't like, I'm going to, I'm going to be right now. I'm going to be really real right now. I'm so biased against Colton Haynes. Like, but he is is valid (laughs) (laughs) i haven't seen anything else that he was in um i i do think unfortunately he's one of those people or fortunately for him right he's one of those people that kind of got himself a career just by being hardworking and pretty and not necessarily as talented but what he does with the jackson character works because he he kind of gives the Jackson character deeper layers as the show progresses, like between the pilot and the last time we see Jackson, which is in the season two finale. I feel like we really understand Jackson and how he basically puts on airs and puts on this persona to prevent people from seeing how broken he is. Right. He's, um, he's your, he's your broken 
insecure, but like hyper masculine jock. I just feel like Colton Haynes as a person should just stay out of blackface. That's all I'm saying. Um, Oh, he did blackface? Girl, three times. Okay, see, I'm so glad I be ignorant as fuck because these people irritate the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> I never really know what's going on, but y'all so irritating. Y'all are I, so irritating. Y'all are so, that's that's really just it. Y'all are so irritating. Like, why are you like this? Um, it's sad. But yeah, he would. he is someone who I would say, besides Shelly Hennig, who plays Malia Tate later in the series, who I feel were a little bit weak. Just those two people were a little bit weak in the acting department, and still, I think, I think, and I think it was with the proper direction, <laughs> Runaways, they were able to mold their certain weaknesses to fit their character well. Right. Um, but we, man, we had some heavy hitters in season one. What I love about season one, and going back to how well written that pilot was, but the duration of season one is you have this. It's like best case scenario, worst case scenario, rinse and repeat, which is actually a really great model. And it's something that they tell fiction writers to do all the time. You have this weak kid with asthma who's not the strongest across player, but he wants to be popular and he wants to make the team. What happens? He gets lycanthropy and it gives him all the things that he needs to become a great lacrosse player. Best case scenario. Worst, another um, best case scenario. He meets the girl of his dreams. Worst case scenario. Her father's a werewolf hunter. Rinse, repeat. We keep having this over dynamic over and over with, with Scott for, I think, at least the first three seasons. Best case scenario, worst case scenario. And it's really a gift that keeps on giving because the writers really, really push as far as they can. And I think it's really, really brilliant what they did in that writer's room. Same, same. I, In general, in terms of first season, I don't have... I don't have a lot to say about this first season and and that's like not praise. I think this first season is incredible. Uh, It's so tight to me. Like that, I mean, that's one of my notes that like, it's just so tight. It's so precise. It's so well-written there. To me, there's not a lot of misses that happen in the episodes. And I was just really impressed by just in general. I was like, Oh, this is it. Like, yeah, this is, this is it. It's a really Perfect. It's like a perfect first season. I don't think you could ask for anything more because basically everything that happens, like we said, everything that happens in the pilot then just continues on to the first season. You know, we had this big mystery of like, who is the alpha and like all of it's sort of tied together and it all gets like resolved in a really neat way. And then by the season finale, we're set up perfectly to go into the next season of uh, with, you know, new sort of mysteries and stuff. Right. I do agree that that first season was very tight. Were, are there some things that I would have done differently if I were writing the show, the, the show? Sure. But I don't necessarily think that those things I would have done differently would have been better, actually. And I don't think, I can't think of any other show that that did a first season of this type of genre better. Same. I, you know, we talk a lot about study the blueprint, study what works. And I feel like, like these writers and the showrunner did that. Like they just did what works and it it showed. Somebody at MTV was like, please don't give us another flop. No matter what you do. (laughs) No matter what you do. We got you fam. We got you. Um, So season one, what makes it great, I think, is because it's not... It's very centered around Scott and him getting comfortable 
with with the changes brought upon by his lycanthropy and trying to forge this relationship with Allison and trying to stay out of her father's crosshairs. But it's not just the Scott show. We have Derek, whose reasons for coming back into town have had absolutely nothing to do with Scott, right? He came into town because his sister, Laura, um, had been killed. And she was killed by an alpha, but he doesn't know who the alpha is. Scott being a new werewolf and not really knowing how to control his shift, what being a werewolf is about, how to stay safe from hunters, that actually puts puts a damper in Derek's plans because now he's got to like, um, he's got to juggle two agendas, figuring out what happened to his sister and figuring out how to help Scott because Scott's being exposed also exposes him. And he has this theory, which turns out to be correct, that the alpha who bit Scott and the alpha who killed his sister are the same person. So he sort of needs Scott as well. The show is so much deeper than just what's going on with Scott. And I think that really sets us up in a great way to give supporting characters like Derek, like Allison, like Styles, and then later, you know, like um, like Kira and Isaac, really great character arcs. No, absolutely. You know, I would say that Tyler Holland, I would say that Tyler Holland was probably one of the weaker elements of like, weak, not weaker elements, but weaker actors on the show, but his arc is very strong, which helped with... <laughs> Which helps the overall. Wait, is that bad to say? Should is no, no, it's really not. Bad? It's not. It's not. Tyler Hawklin is not that strong of an actor. He's not. However, I went into the series expecting this because I was one of those few people that watched him when he was on in like the last three or four seasons of Seventh Heaven. He was vastly improved from what he was on Seventh Heaven, though. I will Listen, say that. Listen, Lincoln Heights <laughs> taught him. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, can we talk very briefly about how this show was like a mini Lincoln Heights reunion? Because Tyler Hawkland, Tyler Posey, and Sinqua Walls, who plays Boyd later in the series, all guest starred on Lincoln Heights. All guest starred. I hope they... Tyler Posey likes to act like he didn't come from like black and brown TV shows. Like they didn't put him on first. He likes to act like these white people always loved him, but... Listen, I we know where you came from, Tyler Posey. No. We know. We know he the truth. Be, he just be picking that Garcia up and dropping it off whenever he feel like it. <laughs> whenever he feel uh, like it. <laughs> um, but it's okay, son. Do you? Like, I understand your first role was, like, in Made in Manhattan. He was Jennifer Lopez's son in that movie. He was mad cute. But mm. Tyler Hawkland, back to him. And I think being on this show and surrounded by much stronger actors made him better over time. And that first season is, like, incredible. Like, I was not expecting that whole the aunt was sleeping with him and then she killed his family turn. That was good. That was a good one. That was a good... I thought that was a great turn. The show's filled with big and small turns. Obviously, one of our biggest turns is finding out that Allison's father's a werewolf hunter and that she comes from a family of werewolf hunters. But then we have, like, smaller turns, like you said, finding out that Kate, back when she and Derek were younger, like, she she was basically the Allison to his Scott. He thought he was in love with this girl. And she hid the fact that she was a, a hunter and, you know, got him to... Got him to to fall in love with her and then um, set his his family on fire um, where his uncle Peter was the only survivor of the fire that she set in his family home. Kate is really sadistic. And I think that's a really great 
character to have when all of the Argents are seen as like living by some code of honor, or whatever. Seeing a character like this who's like really just like a sociopath and really loves to kill and hunt, I think is really interesting because oftentimes when we have organizations like this, like these hunters or like the police force or like the military, we like to promote the narrative that everyone who does it does it out of a sense of honor and duty. But these types of organizations are also very alluring to people like Kate, who are just really psychotic. Right. And another thing that I love about that Kate character, there is this sort of poetic, uh, metaphoric stuff that's happening with it in regards to, you know, this idea of, like, who is, like, the real monster, right? Um, Right. Humans, ultimately, always, um, and holding up a mirror to ourselves in that way so that there's that happening in it which is really nice and then um but I also like her because she also allows the show to very briefly they don't like lean into this or heavily explore this idea but to to briefly sort of think about the idea that ultimately like you're killing people like the werewolf myth at least like you're ultimately killing people like these aren't they're not monsters like for the majority of the time they're monsters out of what three days in the three days of the month um so it's like you're killing people like you're killing people (laughs) this is awkward right Um, right i mean and we do right and we do have people like like peter and Derek who are werewolf by birth but they are still human beings right they're just they just have a little something extra it was interesting is that the fire that kate set she killed people in that house who were like fully human, not werewolf. And she didn't care. Like she allowed there to be human children casualties to her bloodlust. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the more interesting lines too, um, like it's, it's, she said something she says in passing when she basically um, introduces Allison to Derek while she's holding him hostage is that, um, the werewolves are just like animals to her. But then we later found out that her and Derek used to be in a relationship and they were fucking, which kind of reminded me of slavery a little bit. Like you just no. said he was an animal to you, but you were fucking him. <laughs> I do have that note. I was like, please, I, I had that note of like, please let us not do the whole werewolves are black people thing. Like, I don't want to yeah, do they, they, I mean, I, th- I think they leaned into it just enough. Thank you for not going any further down that road. But it was v- for me, it's it's so congruent with the with the idea that was very popular in slavery that they're not really human; they're beasts of burden. We learn um, about three quarters of the way through the season that Derek's uncle Peter, who he thought was sort of catatonic as a result of the fire. Um, because he was trapped in the fire. His 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 um, lycanthropy allowed him to heal in a way that no human could, but at the same time, he's like so traumatized that he never fully healed from the burns and he's not really fully aware of who he is or where he is. Well, it turns out he's been faking it for the vast majority of that time. He is the alpha and he killed Derek's sister, Laura, in order to become the alpha and have the energy that he needed to fully heal himself. So he sacrificed his own family member to, like, basically get his life back and become an alpha. But at the same time, everything that has happened throughout the season has been Peter trying to avenge said family from that fire. 
you know, he killed the people who set that fire. He killed the medical examiner who like, um, who, who said that the fire was an accident and not arson when it clearly was arson. And he's after Kate Argent as well. Right. The season ends with, uh, Derek killing, killing him, right, Peter, and becoming, and Derek himself becoming alpha. Um, Scott and Allison are, are separated, uh, by her father who says they can't be together. Um, Lydia, who was bitten by Peter, bite heals, but Mm -hmm. it does not, but she's not a werewolf. So they're wondering what's up with her, where it's, it's a mystery of what's sort of up with her. And we get more insight into that in the second season. And then in Jackson has like, thinks he is becoming a werewolf as well. Um, and right. <laughs> which we also, that gets flipped really wonderfully in the second season. And that's how first season ends. Um, yeah. oh, and Kate is, first, is killed and defeated. Derek had told Scott that the myth was, if you kill the alpha who turned you, then you can, if, you know, if you're a werewolf who turned from being bitten like Scott, then you can heal your lycanthropy and go back to being fully human. And that was the deal. Um, he wanted to become human. He saw it as what it was, a curse, very quickly in the season. But when he basically told told Derek that, hey, Peter didn't kill your sister accidentally, and like because he lost control, he killed her to become an alpha. Derek's revenge and need for revenge would not let him give this one thing to Scott. And by killing Peter, he took away Scott's chance to no longer be a werewolf. Um, Scott's pretty much fucked now because the one thing standing between him and a relationship with Allison is the fact that he's a werewolf and her daddy does not want them to be together. The season ends with Derek giving Jackson the bite, though. Jackson was has literally, literally been begging to be bitten by someone, anyone, literally anybody, the entire season. Like, once he figured out that Scott's a werewolf, he wants it. Right. So, season one, good, bad, basic. Oh, season one was excellent. What about you? Yeah, season one is a really solid good, uh, dare I say, good plus. It did all the things it was supposed to do. Like, you can't ask for anything more. It was it was really good from start to finish. Um, so, season two... Season two, also 12 episodes. I think this season arguably was as strong, if not stronger, than season one. And spoiler alert, it's probably the last strong season we're going to get. Right. I agree with that. <laughs> Sorry about it, kids. That's This is the last really tight, strong season where we can clearly see the writer's vision from beginning to end that we are going to get. So like Alex said, Lydia was bitten by Peter. And two things happen when you're bitten. You'll either die from the bite or you will heal and turn. Neither of these happen for Lydia. She heals, but she doesn't turn. And her body violently rejects the bite when she was in the hospital. But but once she's recovered, and I use this loosely, she starts suffering hallucinations. Um, she starts hallucinating about a young boy that goes to their school who it's later revealed doesn't go to their school, at least not now. Um, she's hallucinating a teenaged version of Peter. Right. And that's how Lydia starts off the season. Peter, she's hallucinating a dead Peter. She's just having hallucinations. But it's clear that something's wrong with her. Styles is, you know, doing styles at the beginning of the season. Derek 
is turning all the teenagers at the high school into werewolves for, I don't know, reasons. Um, And Scott and Allison are dating in secret. And there is like a brand new sort of monster that is terrorizing uh, the town of Beacon Hills. And that's where we pick up our season in season two. Secret lovers. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's what's going on with Allison and Scott. So the way they set this up, again, cinematography on 10. How they're secretly dating. Season one, they ended up in each other's arms. But with Peter, with Derek killing Peter, his his chance of no longer being werewolf is gone. And obviously her dad's not with the shit. And they show you where she calls him. Or she sends him a text and he goes running through town at like the speed of light to get to her house and make out with her for like 10 minutes or do, to, to meet her in her car in the woods and make out for like 10 minutes. And they show you like flashback images of, you know, a time when they did get caught, when her dad pulls him out of the car and puts a gun in his face. But there's still and she tells her dad, I'll never see him again. I'm sorry, dad. I'll, I promise I'll stay away from him. But they're teenagers. Hormones are running wild. They're in love. And of course, they're going to try to find ways to see each other. Um, right. They're really committed to this relationship. Like, I mean, girl. he's writing, he's writing like secret hidden messages on her car window of like when they're going to meet. And she like, you know, fogs up the glass to like see. And I'm like, that is so much like that is like dedication like like he's willing to to like i said run through town and almost cause like three car accidents to see this girl for five minutes knowing that her dad won't hesitate to pull that trigger but like i can't even get a text back right i'm like damn <laughs> like what is like, it scott mccall is a real one i will say because allison's father is never going to hurt her but he will put down her boyfriend like believe that and he's dealing with a lot because, again, his sister, Kate, is recently deceased. In that season premiere, we meet um, her grandfather, Gerard, who's her mother's father. Um, so her mother also comes from a family of, of werewolf hunters as well. Like, two families of werewolf hunters basically married, and that's how we have Allison. They have a long legacy of this shit. But Gerard, her mother, Victoria's father, comes to town for Kate's funeral. He is one of the problems of season two let's say that we have this mysterious creature who's terrorizing town but then we also have this so we have the antagonist we we don't know and then we have the antagonist we know who is gerard the actor who plays him i forget his name but he's always playing the mean or grumpy old white guy he does this very well like peak casting shout out to the casting directors because i really can't think of anyone better for this role but gerard for whatever time we see him on screen casts a very aggressive very sinister very intimidating figure he's not he does not give you feeble old man vibes at all (laughs) right he's definitely like leading the charge in terms of of what will be like the argent's a new role within i think the community and like policing and um quote unquote protecting the the city from monsters. So and and that's where we're we we're sort of at. So let's talk a little bit about um the monster thing. And so there's this thing that happens. Allison Scott is like changing and he's, you know, doing the whole lock me up thing. 
right? Uh, And Mm -hmm. Allison does lock him up so that he doesn't hurt people. During it, she's kidnapped and taken hostage, but it's a setup by her father, which, yikes. (laughs) That's so much for Allison. That is so yikes. Yeah, Um, like, the show plays with a lot of themes that I think are cool, like, um, almost Shakespearean, honestly. Like, uh, Allison and Scott's relationship gives me a lot of, like, Romeo and Juliet vibes and, like, warring families type of tease. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, like, in that forbidden love sort of archetype. Um, but when her dad kidnaps her, uh, the whole they, he makes this whole speech about, like, women, the women in our family lead. Like, they are, like, the ones who are in charge. And I was like, listen, don't spew me some sort of weird proto-feminist bullshit. <laughs> When, like, there's right. nothing in the narrative that's ever supported that line. <laughs> like, Right. When did he let... I mean, Kate was crazy, but when did he let her lead? Because literally every time Kate had an idea or an opinion, he shut it down to the point where Kate was constantly going around him. Right. And it's weird to me that, like, yeah, like, Kate's out of control. So you're like, she's out of control, but you would have been following her lead anyway. You know what I mean? Right. And this is proven when Gerald goes like completely AWOL, right? Like Gerard kills like uh, a homeless, packless Omega um, werewolf, right? And then like, we don't just kill them like that. Like we don't even know that he did anything. And what about the code? And Gerard's like, fuck the code. And then Chris falls in line. Chris just falls in line. When Kate was like, they're animals, they need to be put down. Kate, uh, Chris was always trying to get her under control, but Gerard says it, and all of a sudden, everybody just all of a sudden, we're just doing it. I'm like, listen, (laughs) come on, show. Right, and then what does her mother do all day long? Like, her mother doesn't even get really involved in the plot till season two, um, when, like, we learn that, like, yeah, this is her legacy, this is her family lineage as well. Season one, she was just being, like, really mean and baking cookies. Right. Season one, the mom is, like, nowhere. And I, like, I just have that in my notes. I was like, don't, like, I get that you, mark. I get that, like, the team, I get that, like, the first season was really great. You had a really good hit, like... But don't not, don't market research and then put in weird dumb lines and shit like. <laughs> right. Oh oh, speaking of which, that is the one thing I would change about season one. If if I had to like gun to my head change anything, I would have gotten rid of the mom character entirely because she did nothing to further the plot of season one whatsoever. And then, you know, the way they took her off the show was kind of, like, anticlimactic as well. She really served no purpose because the strongest relationship that Allison has with anybody is with her father. Right. The mom wasn't really necessary. Y'all could have just made her, like, you know, say her mom is dead. Y'all do that shit all the time. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Or that the mom is divorced and lives somewhere else. So she can just be out there in case you need her. You know what I mean? Right, you can um, always like you know snap your fingers and call the mom back if the plot should need her. Should need her, uh, like so. I was like, that was mean. So, oh, another thing is like, okay, so Derek is also turning all these teenagers at the high school, and I'm concerned that like, and I okay, and I do like that this show sort of plays with this idea, but I don't think it like, I don't think the show was like definitive enough with this and i mean they make it definitive through scott but like derek's turning all these teenagers at the high school and it's really predatory that he's doing that like it's kind of it's kind of weird right okay yes they do want they wanted the bite everybody he turned wanted the bite 
But their kids, can they really consent to some shit that they don't even understand or have a frame of reference to understand? Right. And <laughs> I do like that the show, I mean, Scott, and then and that's what I think. I, the show does like sort of grapple with it because Scott calls it out, right? Um, the right. writer, Scott is like, he's like, they don't really get that like they're consenting to all this bullshit though. Do they understand that? <laughs> like, do right. It's not like he introduced them to Scott and was like, this is what your future is. Here are the pros, here are the cons. <laughs> right. He's like, um, you're sort of, he's like, and, and at least Scott recognizes like how dangerous this is. And therefore like, because it's realized in our protagonist, like our audience mm-hmm. understands that like what Derek is doing isn't like, okay. But um, I was just like, whoa, like, why are you right. turning on these teenagers? Now, we know why Derek is doing what he's doing. He's an alpha and werewolves are stronger in packs and an alpha needs a pack. Okay, the logic follows. But let's talk, besides how predatory this is, let's talk about who Derek chooses and why. And the one area, this is, again, the mom was the ball drop in season one. This is the ball drop in season two. This is the one area where the ball gets dropped. So, Derek recruits a few people at first. The first is Isaac, great character, great introduction, great story arc, who is the, the swimming coach, Coach Leahy's son. His dad is very abusive, not just words, like physically abusive, psychologically abusive, and tortures his son by locking him in like one of those um, footlocker fridges, things like that. So he's, he's, he's kind of withdrawn and he's very abused. So Derek recruits him. Then we have Erica, who's a loner because she has severe epilepsy. And of course, lycanthropy would solve that. Again, I understand why people like Erica and Isaac would choose the bite because their lives are kind of shitty. Then we have Boyd. Boyd doesn't have any friends, but the show doesn't really explore why. Boyd is like a six foot plus, very muscular, athletic looking black kid in a high school that prizes athletics. They have a lacrosse team, and we know because Peter and Derek were on this team when they were in high school, they have a basketball team. Play a sport. Black kids who pl- black boys who play a sport at predominantly white high schools are treated like gods. Gods. I was about to say that was, a, that was <laughs> I have that in my notes. Like I didn't believe that. Like that made no sense to me. Yeah. Like not have no make no type of sense. Sorry. Because like <laughs> like you said, they're treated like gods. Like and it doesn't matter. Like I don't know where Beacon Hills. I there's a neighborhood in Boston that that's called Beacon Hills. So I don't know if this show is supposed to be set in Boston. Oh, it's but, California, yeah. Um, okay, so the, there it is. But there is nowhere in this country, like, even if you are in, like, the deep fucking South, right, where, like, you are a black boy, and if you play a sport, like, you're not, like, a god. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's Especially just Especially how- if you're in the deep South. Are you kidding me right now? Like, listen, go to that white high school, and if they start, you join that team, and they start winning a few basketball and football games— you are the you you're the you're the you're the one you're it honestly you're it. if you have if you have no athletic bone in your body make a soundcloud and drop a few rhymes on there and you can get by <laughs> um i mean i went to a fundament like i went to not like a fundamentalist but no it was pretty much a fundamentalist but um i went to like a really strict christian school like private school and like the black boys who played sports were still gods, like pre- like predominantly white, predominantly white, really strict Christian school. It's the past. Like, 
<laughs> it, it's uh, so I just don't believe that he wouldn't have any freaking friends. Like that doesn't make any I sense don't to me. It, yeah. I mean, this is something that is across the board whiteness, north, south, east, or west. White people really like when a black person is very athletic or entertaining in some way. So rapper, singer, athlete, musician, you got it. You're made. Um, um, And the thing about Teen Wolf, and they did this twice. They did it in season two with the Boyd character, so they did it for a longer period. But they also did it in season one. There was one black girl in season one. We see her twice. The first time is when she goes up to Scott and Styles, goes up to them in a way that implies that they're friends and that they're close, even though we never see her again. And then she asks them about concerning Allison, she just got here. How come Lydia already wants to be her friend? And Styles replies, because she's really beautiful, implying that this black girl is somehow less beautiful, but she's not. She's not. She's just black. She's really beautiful. Right. This is something I I mean, the show doesn't grapple like it doesn't it doesn't set the, the tone that the kids at beacon hills are racist in fact it sets a tone that that they're really like inclusive particularly when it comes to um sex and sexual orientation like jackson's best friend danny is openly gay which i thought was an interesting twist to have someone as hyper masculine as jackson have a gay best friend that was a, that was very interesting to me but like the way teen wolf deals with race is really weird because they really can't give me a reason other than race it's not explicitly stated but that's literally the only reason why someone like boyd wouldn't have friends friends and then and like we said that that doesn't make sense for a for a black boy that doesn't make sense now if boyd was a black girl sure i would buy it yeah it would make more sense and only then if she were like um very dark skin because colorism is out here or um or if she was um very introverted because there's a thing that they People like when black people are extroverted. Um, black extroversion is kind of forced upon us. A lot of us grew up faking it. <laughs> um, in black or white schools, we grew Speak up that. faking extroversion. We had yeah. to fake extroversion to like live. And live. if you're Caribbean or African, this is on like level one thousand because oh, those cultures don't value introversion at all. At all, and like they think it in like. We talked about this. Like, people just think you're weird. Like, um, right. <laughs> just think you're weird. And so, yeah, so we're, so that would have made sense. I, my only reasoning on that is that they probably felt like they already had a girl, right? And it didn't make sense for there to be two girls and one mm-hmm. guy. And they maybe thought the ratio is better with two guys and one girl because of, you know, misogyny. Right, but then we throw Derek to the mix, and it's three to one. Like, Erica's the only woman in the pack, right? I know, but that's the point, yeah. Yeah. Misogyny is okay, but, like, not, you know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Honestly, y'all could have recycled that black girl from season one and let her get the bite. Like, open up her character arc a bit more. Give me a reason that's as legit as Erica and Isaac's reasons for wanting the bite. Because... Isaac is a victim to his father and Erica is a victim to her medical condition. I can understand them wanting the bite, wanting strength, um, and wanting, wanting that, that level of, um, being able to protect themselves basically from everything inside their body and outside their body. I get it. I get why they said yes. A lot of cool things are happening in season two. Let's talk about this creature that's terrorizing the town. So this creature looks like a Komodo dragon. It's a huge ass reptile. (laughs) called a canama 
which is an aberration of the lycanthropy bite, the lycanthropy gene. Like this is something that's not supposed to happen when you're bitten. You either become a wolf or you die. And this is like that third option that's very, very rare. It's like an abomination of lycanthropy. Like um, it's a creature that has completely no control. It has a master, though coming into the season, we don't know who this creature's master is yet. And they don't know who the Kanama is. Um, Derek suspects because even though Jackson heals from the bite, his body, um, similar to Lydia's, but more prolonged, keeps rejecting the bite, right? He is like coughing up like black blood. It's pouring out of his eyes, his nose, his mouth. It's really bad, but he won't die. And Derek suspects something's wrong with him. But this Kanama thing, like just is out here terrorizing in these streets but and this is like a really great mirror to season one where people thought that like this alpha was just killing indiscriminately the kanama like that alpha in season one peter was not killing indiscriminately it was killing with purpose we find out that the kanama's master is actually a classmate of theirs called matt who he's a weird he's just like this random weird kid that shows up i'm glad you know his name because i was like my notes (laughs) is like the weird kid is the dude like Matt is a weird kid, but even he has like this really great backstory. So he was, he was bullied when he was much younger. Like I guess when he was like eighth grade or when he was like a freshman by the swim team. So Isaac's dad, Coach Leahy is a bully and it kind of, it kind of makes sense that anyone who would be thriving on the swim team would also have that like really shitty domineering aggressive personality. And the members of the swim team held him down and like, drown him um um and to the point where like he literally drowned and they had to be give him cpr um and coach Leahy stood by and watched this happen and laughed and mocked him for not being able to swim and so all the all the things that the canama has done is to get matt his revenge for what the swim team did and what coach Leahy allowed to happen and we already know because of isaac's backstory that that cruelty that coach Leahy has isn't like that wasn't an isolated incident. Like, he's a cruel person. He's an evil person. Right. And I think it was really clever and really great of the show to cast, like, one of the greatest TV dads as, like, yes. <laughs> one of the worst TV dads ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Like... Coach Leahy is played by um uh, the guy who, I don't know his name, I feel bad, but he's played by the guy who is Dawson's dad on Dawson's Creek. And, you know, Mitch, who's, like, Mitch one of the- Larry one is of that Mitch Larry Mitchell is one of the greatest TV dads. So I thought this was a great turn for him and a great Easter egg for people who had like seen that show. And what made the difference for me was how he carried himself in that role. We don't get to see a lot of Coach Leahy. This see this character only exists in like what like three episodes, one episode, and then like two episodes where we see flashbacks of the shit that he did. But like the way he talks to his son and just like this air of tension and hostility and danger surrounding all of their interactions is really like off-putting. The complete shift in personality is honestly, that's a masterclass. Like he's, he really is one of the best television actors.
Jackson really don't give a fuck about nobody. Even Lydia, who, like, they were dating for a, a, a while in season, like, in season one when they're introduced, they've already been dating for a while. He does break up with her in that season, but he's just so casual about it all. It's like he never gave a fuck, right? So mean to Lydia. Like, that was another thing. I was like, he is so unnecessarily mean to Lydia. Like, to the point of, like, I was like, does he like ever want to have sex with her? Because you cannot be this mean, like, and expect like a girl to like be like. That's not how this works. I don't know. I was you. I was ready for someone to be like, you know what? He's mean to women all the time. Uh, he's a tryhard all the time because like he's gay, and then like him and Danny would have a love uh, a relationship arc. I was ready for that to happen. Cause I'm like, I think Jackson really hates women. Like even Allison, who he seems to respect more than he respects Lydia. Like he really don't give a fuck about her either. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about Jackson. What I thought was a really cute. Oh yeah. What what I thought was a really cute Easter egg as far as Jackson's concerned. And Jackson is the one who's later revealed to be a Kanama, um, this aberrational creature is that the night that um, you know Coach Leahy basically attacks out um, his son Isaac and throws glass and a shard of glass like cuts Isaac and it heals, and then Isaac leaves the house. Jackson's throwing out the garbage and he's like, "Ugh, those two again," and we don't think anything of it. But then Coach Leahy's later attacked and killed by the Kanama in a dark alley, and literally the only people who saw or knew where he was going were Isaac and Jackson, right? <laughs> Right. Which is something like we should have put like two and two together. He had no business being there. No one else saw him that night besides those two. So it's kind of cool that they kind of hid that, hid those little clues like that in plain sight. But we get a great turn later when Gerard, Allison's dad, kills Matt, drowning him. You know, the thing that he's always been most afraid of, but like killing him. And then he becomes the Kanama's new master because he killed the old master. Right. Yeah, Gerard is, like, evil as fuck, dude. But, like... Gerard is so evil. (laughs) And, like, honestly, we can say that, um, you know, like, losing his daughter, because um, earlier in the season, um, Derek has no choice but to bite Victoria, Allison's mom, in order to save Scott, and she would rather die than become a werewolf. So she does die in this season. And we can say that losing his daughter made him, like, fucking crazy, but no, Gerard's always been fucked up. He was crazy from before. (laughs) Um, He was been crazy. And he has his own, he has his own agenda, which we later learn as well. We do. So, really quick, big B, and that B stands for Bianca Lawson. Yeah. She's so, here. They there's don't two black her. actresses that they always get when your supernatural show needs a little ju- juice, need a little melanin, need a little flavor. That's Bianca Lawson and Gina Torres. That's true. Bianca <laughs> and Gina are the go-to light-skinned girls. <laughs> uh, yeah like you, i mean you want him you want him visibly black but acceptably black not too Ex- black not obviously too black. so hashtag sarcasm but yeah she enters and she's what like um dr deaton's what niece um and they're like they're witches oh yeah that is that what happens in season three yeah so it turns out like <sighs> they're witches but um Girl. we don't we don't meet her season two do we we do yeah, she comes in at the end of season two, I believe. Yeah, when Lydia's like really losing her mind. Right. Lydia, spoiler alert. 
Turns out she's a banshee, which is definitely a supernatural creature that no other supernatural show has utilized before. A lot of supernatural entities and ideologies that were never utilized before are utilized on this show. The Kanama, the Banshee, we get a few others as the series progresses. Um, but it turns out Gerard has cancer, and as much as he claims to hate werewolves, this nigga's wanted the bite the entire time to cure his cancer. You know, ideology is all great till it till you got some stuff that you gotta, you know, that you gotta be about. <laughs> like it's all fun and games till you're dying. It's all fun and games. Everyone's got that moral high ground when they're in peak health, but when you're old and that cancer is ravaging your body, things switch up. Scott is able to outsmart Gerard. Lydia's love for Jackson, completely unearned love, by the way. He's done nothing to earn this affection from this girl. But her love is able to save him from his inner demons and allow him to, allow the cannibal to finally die and for him to f- become a wolf. Jackson has a whole backstory that's really, really interesting. In season one, they hint at it. So we meet his parents. We learn that he's adopted. And they're not one of those adoptive parents that are like, he should be grateful. Quite the opposite. They're like, we wish he would, he wasn't so high strung. We wish he would just like relax a bit more and like not try to be perfect all the time. But he his desire to be perfect comes from like a really, really dark place. His birth parents died in an accident. He was born out of his birth mother's corpse, um, fresh corpse. And I didn't know until I watched the show, but I looked it up. And this is something that can actually happen when a woman is in her eighth or ninth month and she dies. Like, assuming it's not a a blow to the abdomen, the fetus can be born from that newly deceased body. Like, it can trigger the body to still go into labor. The more you know. The more you know. So, um, see, how does does season two end? Uh, season two ends with basically Gerard manipulated Allison's grief about her mother to um, to get her on his side. And um, Chris realizes this and joins Scott. And then by the time the season wraps up, Daxon becomes a werewolf. Gerard dies because um, Scott switched his meds with Mountain Ash and Derek's bite kills him. Allison dumps Scott again, this time over her guilt at how she did him dirty. <laughs> and Peter and Derek tell Isaac that there is a pack of alphas on the way. Peter's back, by the way. He used Lydia and her powers and his own powers to um, resuscitate himself. That's season two. And it all sounds ridiculous as you say it, but the show writes it and performs it and paces it in a way that nothing of this seems too much or too far-fetched. Exactly. Season two. So what season two? Good, bad, or basic? I thought season two was good. What about you? Same. I think season two is a solid good. It's once it's just as while there are like things here and there about season two that I'm like, huh? It's still very much in line with season one. We've got like a short season episode order. We've got a lot of tight episodes. It feels really focused. Um, the mystery of like the Cadma and like who's controlling the Cadma is great, along with balancing all these other teenage elements. By the way, I will say the one thing that I think really, at least in these first two seasons, that really helps Teen Wolf is that the show never forgets that these kids are always in fucking school. 
and like they they need to be in school. That's a big Yo. part of why this works. <laughs> can can we get a hand clap? Because I mean, TVD did this too, like even when they were in college. But like, uh, there were other shows that were thriving where them kids were never in class. Yeah, I love how they, like, Scott's bad grades are always a talking point. And there's actually a whole episode in season two, or season one, where Allison and Scott play hooky on her birthday. And, like, it's the night of a parent-teacher conference as well, and they get busted. And it's a whole thing <laughs> um, from both their parents. I really enjoy the fact that it is, like, we understand that teenagers do things like go to school, have curfews, and they just can't be doing whatever, whenever. Season two, I think one of the best scenes was when Scott was forced to turn in front of his mom, like exposing his secret, like to save her. Right. He he had, he had to get him out of that situation. He had no choice but to turn. And like the horror on her face is like ridiculous. And like, even after that, where like she'll buy him new clothes, but like dump it in her room and dump it in his room and run out of the house. Cause she can't even face him. I thought that was actually really well done. Because this is her child. Like, she gave birth to him. She did not give birth to a werewolf. (laughs) It's not like Derek, where he was born a wolf. Like, she has a lot of... She has a lot of adjusting to do, basically. Obviously, it makes his life easier overall, ultimately, that his mom knows his secret. But this isn't something he ever had to do. Um, Putting Scott in situations where he doesn't want to be a werewolf, but he wants to use his ability to the best possible way... And he doesn't want to disappoint the people in his life, but he keeps on having to unintentionally um, gives the character a sort of vulnerability that makes him so likable. And Parker Posey, Tyler Posey plays this character so well. I agree. Where are we at? Okay. Set us up. Season season three is, first of all, it's 24 episodes. It's, I it's think that's where they parts, went wrong. Yes, I was just about to say this. I know y'all trying to do your little TWB or CW light thing, 2.0, whatever. But we don't all need 24 episodes to be great. The first two seasons prove that. And actually, in trying to, in doing what they did in season three, they became more like a TVD. And that's not a good thing. Let's get into it. <laughs> The Jackson character is gone because Colton Haynes is now on Arrow. So the story is that Jackson has moved to London. He just peaced out on everybody. He became a wolf. <laughs> so now he's a, he's literally a werewolf in London. <laughs> oh, that's cute. We have a new teacher, Jennifer Blake at Druid Hills. Hi. Erica is dead. Derek's sister, Cora, is a prisoner. And Boyd is a hostage to the pack of alphas. So there's a pack, like, okay, so every alpha needs a pack. This particular pack is made up of nothing but alphas. So it's like the best of the best. Um, We also have a druid who's out here sacrificing people and absorbing their powers, supposedly to fight the alphas. We don't know who the druid is. There's always an unknown. So we're setting up for a good season, but they did too much too fast. Um, Just like... Vampire Diaries, each season was broken up into two or three parts. This is what happens here. Season three doesn't have fluidity. It it doesn't seem to match from beginning to end. It just doesn't. Right. So that's, um, I, what I just talked about is the first half of season one, which could have been a whole season, <laughs> honestly. It could right. have been a whole season. Listen, I, I'm... You know, I've always said that the 22-episode season is not an easy one. It's a really hard one. Like, it's not an easy feat to pull off because you have to tell, you have to tell, like, a central, you have to 
tell the centralized story, right? But mm-hmm. still have enough material to just be going. But you still have to have, like, you have to have all the sort of, um, like, smaller stories to fill the episodes. Uh, like, all the sort of, you know, the teenage stuff that needs balancing and stuff. It's not easy. It's not hard. It's hard. Not everybody can do it. It's it's a feat. You know, I'm going to go back mm-hmm. to the one of the greatest genre shows of all time. Buffy. Buffy's not easy. Those kids worked hard. To do that mm-hmm. shit is not, like... You can't do that shit lightly. And I think it was due to those short uh, episodes, like just those short season orders, like those 1310 episodes, you could go super fast paced. You know what I mean? You could have like a really fast paced show because you only got 10 episodes. You know what? You, you just, so you just burn through the story. You got 24 episodes now. You can't just do that. I think that was, that was something that just, this just hurt the show. Right. And I'm, I'm ex- here's the thing. These split seasons kind of help. Like, w- I think nowadays we go into we go into split seasons knowing that the first half and the back half are not going to match. However, because they know that they have 12 more seasons, the material is not as tight. And that's my problem. There were a lot of glaring loopholes that started off in the show in season three and never ended. Every season that was like huge, giant plot holes. And like you said, you're burning through this material at rapid pace, but um, you're not you're not pacing it out well because you feel like, oh, I have 12 more episodes. I'm not saying stretch it out because I like the pacing of of season one and season two. But I'm saying if you have more episodes, stretch it a little bit or um, go deeper into building character arcs and exploring characters' individual motivations. With season three, everything that was going on was external. Like, who's fighting who? Who's dating who? Who's breaking up with who? And not really getting to know the heart of our characters in the way that we did in, say, season one. And and when you have 24 episodes, I feel like you have no choice but to fully explore your characters. You have no choice. Like, you can't just throw 24 episodes at us at rapid pace and we still don't feel like we really know these people. And we were introduced to quite a few new people in season three. Bianca Lawson's character, I forget her name, the Jennifer Blake character, um, Kira uh, uh, Kitsune, who, who will become um, who will become um, Al, um, Scott's girlfriend by season four, and all of the alpha characters, two in particular, twins, Um, who can, like, merge together and become a super werewolf. First of all, very cool. Whoever's idea that was, to have identical twins who can merge and become a super wolf, that's fucking awesome. Um, (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. their characters, I would have liked to know more. Um, Like, just just give me more character backstory if you're going to be doing all of this. Because there's just so much happening. So that's the first half of season three. Then the second half of season three, Scott becomes a true alpha um, Allison starts seeing visions of her supposedly dead Aunt Kate, and Styles becomes possessed by a benevolent spirit called the Nogitsune, who feeds off chaos and strife. Kira, the new um, Japanese um, student at their school, is a Kitsune who can fight the no- Nogitsune. Um, 
Now, I will say this about season three. Literally, the only thing that saves season three for me is the acting specifically from Dylan O'Brien. He went from the deadpan humor, the great comedic acting, and being the the willow to Scott's Buffy to to like this basically the the Nagitsune plot was Styles' version of Dark Willow. It was so good. The acting was so good. Mm. That's what saved season three for me. Dylan, Dylan um, O'Brien going dark really elevated that season. I, I mean, I think one of, I don't know. I've, I've blocked out a lot of season three. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> That's honestly I, me with season four. <laughs> I've blocked a lot of it out. Cause like, I remember I just watched like that. I think I watched two episodes and then I was like, Oh no, this isn't, this is not the same show anymore. <laughs> and, I was like, it's been nice knowing you, Teen Wolf. Um, the tonal shift is so very like, jarring. It's like it's whiplash. So whiplash, like it, because it just went from being like this really cool show to like doing a lot of craziness that didn't make any sense to me. Particularly since, uh, I think one of the things that I had originally thought was interesting about the show, particularly in season two, was that. You know, usually like on a werewolf show, it's you're really just counting down the seconds till witches and vampires are introduced into the universe right. somehow, right? right. And um, or some sort of other like element. And I remember thinking, oh, and I remember liking the cad the cadma because it was like, oh no, it's just like another monster, which is cool. Um, and diff- it's it's it, that is different. Like you don't see that on another, on werewolf shows very much. Of them just like introducing another type of like monster. So so then for season three to then bring like be like magic, y'all. It was like uh, okay, but then also, but then it, it, I just felt like they they retconned a bunch of things and. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Um, I I mean, I will say this. The first half of season three, they kind of brought back the teen and teen drama. Having the alpha twins who are also in high school um, and having like a, 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 like characters like Kara kind of like reinforce that we are still in high school. Um, Lydia not being with Jackson was super refreshing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a lot. Um, Like you said, they retconned a lot of things. There were a lot of plot holes. The writing was, the writing was footloose. (laughs) Like it was was not, it was not tight anymore. Not the way it was in season one or two. I felt like they didn't have true direction with season one and two, literally everything that they did was very clear. Like by by the season finale, you could see the vision from the first episode onward. Like everything that they did, Everything that was introduced, everything that was said was very purposeful. Season three, nah. Nah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, that's It was like, where are we going? Now, the Kitsune, which is what Kira is, it was actually a character that was introduced in Lost Girl. And it was an epic fail for me. It was pretty much like anything that's not Norse or European mythology is evil. But the, Nagitsune, the, the Kitsune, excuse me, is not evil. Which is interesting. The druid, however, is revealed to be evil, which I thought was a great turn. That this was a supernatural show that wasn't just implying that like ethnic quote unquote people's um, supernatural powers or entities were inherently evil, right? I like the fact that um, 
the Kira character also wasn't like a one-off and that she was a character that was integrated into the plot. But yes, it did seem that her introduction was grasping for straws. But yeah, she does kill the evil spirit, the Nagitsune. Um, now, three major things happen in season three. And like, I agree with most of it, but like a lot of it really like hurt my heart. So, Erica, Boyd, Aiden, and Allison all die in season three. Yeah. Now, Allison character was not someone that they wanted to get rid of. Crystal Reed, who had started playing Allison when she was 26, did not want to go into her 30s still playing a teenager, so they wrote her off. And it was really, it, it was a good send-off. Boyd and Erica, I almost feel like those were like, sacrificial characters sacrificing to basically Derek's recklessness because you can turn anyone why would you choose these kids and not even like keep an eye on them because he really didn't protect them the way that he did with Scott in season one and um Aiden like so many of these characters didn't need to die in season one but I in season in season three but I get it because season three that back half was so dark uh, again when I say these these the first and 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 last half of season three don't match. I don't just mean the subject matter. The tone is different. Like the the beginning of season three is almost campy. And then the end of season three is like, like, the, okay. So the beginning of season three is like true blood. And the end of season three is like season three, Buffy. Season three, it's Buffy? Very- yeah, I mean, in, like, in, in the, the the darkness, I mean. Like, it's very dark shift. Like, it's almost like two different shows. Like, yeah, I want to be camp and you want to be serious at the same time in the same season. Mm. Season three Buffy isn't, isn't, well, yeah, I guess season three Buffy is super dark. Yeah, you know what? Let's go a little bit darker. Season five Buffy. <laughs> season five Buffy. Okay, that's, yeah, that's dark. Like, that's dark. So, like, you have that in the same season and I don't care if y'all did that little mid-season finale thing that I still don't stand I still don't fuck with it I'm tired of it I don't want it um it's watching the the the, the season back to back on streaming services it's whiplash mm, mm, mm. I feel it I feel it that makes sense though because if you have if when it aired you had like a whole month or two months right in between you know, and then you can then like, it, process your feelings or whatever, <laughs> right? You have to process, and then like you come back, and then it's like, oh, then you can. I guess you can do that. Like, you, yeah, that makes sense. Like as it's airing, that makes sense because you can probably do that. But like back to back, yeah, that's a no. Like um, I understand why we couldn't just do a twelve episode season three, and then like split that into two seasons. Like I, what is the harm? Why does it all have to take place in one season? You know what I'm saying? Like some of the heaviest hitting shows have short seasons and writing short seasons is hard too. You have to get your material tight. You can't have any fluff, but I feel like short seasons, especially for the modern TV writer brings out the best in them. I agree with that. So season, season three, what happens at the end of the season three? How does season three close out? Season three ends with uh, Scott trying to find a way to kill Styles when they realize that he's the Nagitsune without killing him. Um, and then Kira comes through on the clutch. The new teacher, Jennifer Blake, who Derek has a relationship with this season, is revealed to be the druid. So um, we do bring back that like theme from the first half of the season. And Allison dies. That's like, the big thing in season three is that Allison dies. Which honestly, like... 
her dying, I get. And I don't think the show produ- producers and writers could have predicted this, but like the Kira character got so much hate for the duration of the show for being Scott's girlfriend simply because Allison had died. Wow. What? Yeah. Y'all yeah, they, yeah, white girls on Tumblr had like a vendetta against this girl. Mind you, Allison and Scott were broken up at that time. And like there was a burgeoning relationship between her and Isaac. Um, but they were like, they're meant to be their end game, blah, blah, blah. So they really hated that this Asian girl, um, was with, 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 with Scott, um, by the end of the series. Chris, I want to be on the show, (laughs) y'all. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Like we can't hold this girl hostage. It is what it is. You know, she lasted longer than all the actors on, um, Misfits. Um, so (laughs) listen, she gave them three seasons, Right. And there were three great seasons, but that's how season three wraps up that. And like the twins, I keep forgetting their name. I'm going to call them the twins. They're twins. They're actual twins. They kind of like get on the winning team and break rank with their pack, the pack of alphas. But uh, the twins and their little storyline is like very teen and very campy as well. Like we find out that one of them is gay and one of them is straight. One of them starts like hooking up with Lydia and the other one starts dating Danny. Um, that that whole element was like really really cool. This this idea that like identical twins could merge together and become some like super predator was really really cool. They had really fun ideas in season three, really interesting vision. But the way that it came together and the way that it was incorporated into the overall plot was kind of lackluster at best, and had glaring plot holes at worst. Yeah, yeah. So for you, what, what what's season three? Good, bad, or basic? Season three was basic. What about you? I thought it was not. I'll give it a basic minus. Basic minus is like that cable package that doesn't even <laughs> have Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not. I just didn't like it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not a fan. I thought it was all over the place. I thought it was all over the place. Allison, all that stuff, all of those kids dying felt like overkill. Oof, yeah, it felt like so much. I would have liked the Kira character to, um, like, every group needs a regular-ass person, right? She could have been their regular-ass person. Um, And I would have liked it if the Boyd character had lived, because I think that um, he could have been a strong supporting character in that series. But, you know, you don't always get what you get. I was pleasantly surprised, however, that we got to see more of Danny in season three, assuming that he's Jackson's best friend, right? Because usually when, like, a supporting character's friend, like a supporting character leaves the show, their friend who's like a recurring character also like magically vanishes too. But the Danny character was kept on the show. I liked that. I liked some of the elements, like I said, they play around with in season three. That's why I gave it a basic. And I'm not going to be that easy on the next three seasons on the next episode. I just preemptively understand that I don't have a lot of fond memories of the back half of Teen Wolf. In fact, while I could remember season one vividly and the rewatch just felt like, you know, deja vu, everything about season four onward felt like I was watching it for the first time and it was just as bad on this go around. Sorry about it.
And there mm. you have it. This is everything that we think made the first three seasons of Teen Wolf good, bad, basic, and exciting. If you'd like to check out the series, Teen Wolf is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Please let us know your thoughts on this review via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Teen Wolf Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing the back half of Teen Wolf and all the changes this series made for better or for worse. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material until next time bye everyone